A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello. You're listening to BFN. This is the podcast about infertility, IVF, and the trials of trying for a baby. I'm Gabby. And I am Emma. And we are both card carrying members of the Infertility Club. Welcome to this episode. Yes, this is a new episode. It is. Um, Doesn't matter what number it is. No, it doesn't. So we're not going to say it. Trying really hard not to. <laughs> um, this episode, this particular one, Yes. we are talking about almonds. Your almonds. The almonds. You're so hormonal. So hormonal. Uh, yeah, so we, um, we met a lady called Dr. Jan Toledano. Yes. At the Thriver event that we did a couple of months ago. Yes. Called She's So Hormonal. Yes. And she is a hormones doctor. She is. She works for the London Hormone Clinic. She does. Yes. She has experience working in endocrinology, dermatology and metabolic medicine. And she's a specialist in bio-identical hormones. Jesus. Um, yeah. She's a very clever lady, basically. She's a very clever lady. And very interesting. Yes. Um, we had a really nice chat with her. And we did. We were in her office, which is like a really cool, like great big Georgian Harley Street room. Yes. Very echoey. One of those that would have cost us quite a lot of money to be in there yes. in any other circumstance, I yes. imagine. Nice, like finish on the paintwork. Mm, yes. Um, and all it was like the end of the day, so you can kind of hear her colleagues in the back a little bit. And um, yeah, it's just it was all like quite atmospheric wasn't it yeah it's nice it's good um yeah. it's very interesting it was very interesting yeah um so yeah please enjoy that yes and we're also talking to professor tim child we are and we are talking about um how people how an embryologists specifically not just people choose which embryos to put in yeah it's not like tinder it's not you don't swipe right no or swipe left no, oh, i no, don't tinder. know i've never used it <laughs> Um, yes, yeah, so that's an interesting one, I yeah. think, because uh, everyone, it's, it's, cause often you don't get much detail about your embryos no. if you are, particularly if you're doing um, IVF through the NHS, you yes. kind of get, yeah, they're good quality. They're all right. Yeah, they're fine. They're fine. Yeah, yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> so she's like, what? Huh? 
How do you know? Yeah. I think one thing that I remember from my second transfer that I don't remember from my first, but John does, so I don't know, is that they said, because it was a five-day transfer, mm. they said that it was um, it was hatching, mm. that it was like showing signs of life after yeah. it had been thawed. And I don't remember them saying that about the first one. Yes. I think they they were all But they wouldn't have known that when they chose it. Yeah, no, they wouldn't. So that's not how they would have chosen it. Yeah. So interesting. But also he explains a little bit um, about why they sometimes, like, basically the difference between a three-day and a five-day transfer. Mm, Okay, good. Which um, which we got an email about this week, so. We did indeed. Okay. Well, I hope that that is very useful for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Other than that, I don't think we've got a huge amount to talk about. Our friends Kat and Alice have done a TTC meetup diary yeah, on their website. It's really it's really whizzy and cool. Yeah. And it's basically got everything. If you wanna if you wanna see some of your peeps, hang out with your homies. <laughs> it's got all of the options. I think it's so clever. Yeah, absolutely. And really, really quite useful. So I think the website is it's catanalyst.com, right? I hope so. <laughs> um or something to that effect yeah exactly um so yeah that's really cool go over there and check it out if you yeah. can yeah and if you if you just want to get together and i've got to say i haven't been to a huge number of ttc meetups but the ones i have been to have just been like brilliant mm. like even if you walk in not knowing anyone and i have done that before yeah um you come out like with really good friends there's no substitute. Like, obviously, on Instagram is great because you, you you create all these friends that are online. Yeah. Then meeting them in real life is just quite exciting. So that's it. Yeah. Basically for today. Your next activity, though, however, is to rate and review us on wherever you get your podcast, but especially on iTunes. Yes, please. Um, and follow us on Instagram at Big Fat Negative and at BFN Emma at BFN Gabby. <laughs> <laughs> that's a b-f-n-g-a-b-b-y <laughs> you don't need more um <laughs> uh you can follow us on twitter at big fat negative you can follow us on facebook the facebook the facebook big fat negative um you can email us big fat negative podcast at gmail.com um, you can visit our website oh yeah oh www.bigfatnegative.com yeah or google us why not yeah. S- spicy. Just, yeah. Spicy. Mix it up a bit, guys. Yeah. It's yeah. Go on our website. Anyway. Actually, people do go on our website. Do they? Yeah. I'm I'm surprised too. Bizarre. <laughs> but when we don't put a podcast up, we get messages. Yes. Which is fair. Yeah. Fair Absolutely. enough. Fair. Absolutely. Anyway, um, please enjoy the podcast. And if you don't see it on the website, give us a shout. Exactly. Yeah. Later. nearly had you on the Thriver podcast but we didn't quite manage it because of slight sound issues indeed but now we've got you all to ourselves we're gonna write that wrong we are writing that wrong absolutely (laughs) very happy to be here (laughs) um so I mean to start the two main hormones that we talk about in infertility again you know it could be we could be wrong but we tend to talk about estrogen and progesterone as the the two big Mm -hmm. ones so can you kind of explain to us from a, a mechanical point of view, what do they do mm-hmm. and why do we talk about them so much? Okay. So the main job um, of oestrogen and fertility is to cause the lining of the womb to thicken. Mm-hmm. So in preparation for uh, implantation. Mm-hmm. Um, and the job of progesterone is to allow the uh, embryo to develop, to maintain the womb lining um, so that the fetus can grow um, and those are the two main things uh, that they do. Of course, they do lots of other things in the body, but those are the two specific things. 
in pregnancy. And, and is there anything that can be done to regulate them? When those of us doing IVF um, take quite a lot of synthetic versions of those hormones, is that harmful? Okay. So in terms of how to regulate one's own estrogen progesterone when you're not being sort of on other things to try to regulate them, Mm. um, that's a lot about lifestyle. Um, It's a lot about chemicals in the environment. Okay. Um, It's a lot about not having too much stress, and I'm sure all of you get told that all the time. That's virtually impossible. Mm. And everyone deals with stress in a completely different way. So there's stressed women that get pregnant straight away and totally relaxed women that don't get pregnant. So it's a very general thing, but the body does react to stress um, in a hormonal way by causing imbalances in those hormones, estrogen and progesterone. It's interesting that you mentioned the chemicals in the environment. Mm-hmm. Now, we hear a lot from nutritionists about things like BPAs. Mm-hmm. I, I never know quite how much of that to believe. I would believe it. Okay. I don't think it's a sort of myth. I think there's um, uh, enormous amounts of data. Okay. So I don't think it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a, an alternative approach. Yeah. So these, uh, there are lots of chemicals. They're called endocrine regulators disruptors there's lots of names for them but essentially what these chemicals do is they attach onto hormone receptor sites on the cell and they cause that instead of the real hormone which causes the right thing in the cell they cause almost the wrong thing happening in the cell now a lot of the chemicals and the sorts of chemicals that you know is phthalates and um, lots of some of the chemicals that are now banned but there's okay. still anything with plastic mm-hmm. even if it's bpa free every you know pretty much everything makeup um perfume um so lots of things and uh, you know f- um small particle pollution all of those things mm-hmm. and what they do is therefore the cause the wrong response in the body and you know that's those changes in the body are responsible for a lot of uh, problems including infertility so we know that they've had effects on um, um, children and um, pubertal development Um, you know there's um, um, you know the chemicals in the in the water that we drink and so it has a huge effect uh, on fertility and so uh, you rightly pointed out with your eyes that I am drinking a bottle of water from (laughs) Pret that is plastic how much should we be taking that seriously should, should I should I not be drinking this water from Pret or do you think it's a kind of case of so I do ac- what you can I actually think that we are we're all living where we're living we're in London mm-hmm. yeah um, so there's only a limit to what you can do I think one has to accept that this is happening yeah and um, these things need to be changed not by us individually if you are drinking from a plastic bottle you just have to know that a it's been left in the sun so the toxins in the plastic are now in the water but what are you going to do? Drink from the tap. It's exactly the same. So I think you just you need to know about it, but and, and it is a reality. Um, but I think there's a lot of things that we can't do, can't change. But you can use products which don't have stuff in, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I need to and you can and you can have reusable water bottles that were meant to anyway. Yes. But but in it, you know, <laughs> you're still going to be exposed to huge amounts of chemicals. Yeah. So just go back to things we can do something about is very often these things stimulate the body as if it's estrogen and tend okay. to cause in in what we're talking about the effect of too much estrogen. And so what we can do is make sure that we're not doing that in other ways and also top up the progesterone right so that it's a bit more balanced and that can actually feel much better. 
um, and being protective. So, okay. And like, just to stick to the kind of, the, as you said, disruptors um, theme for now, because I, you know, in infertility, it's, people get hysterical about it, and I certainly did. Um, what kind of, you know, if I were to, to cut out all BPAs, go and live in the country, only eat vegetables that I had grown on my own land without any um, chemicals... What kind of gains are we talking about here? Are they quite marginal? I don't think that... I don't think there's an answer to that. They okay. may well be very marginal. I think when, when one is faced with fertility and it, one's infertility, yeah. all these things feel very big because of the uncertainty. Yeah. And so you want to try to um, improve each... You know, everything in each domain. I actually think one has to uh, take a pragmatic approach to the chemicals in the environment and uh, because there's not much you can do about it. Um, there and then when you're yeah. you know and also what really happens in fertility treatment if you end up having um ivf or other stimulation those are the chemicals that matter on your body yeah. and you are accepting that you're going to have those okay very true it's hard to take a pragmatic approach it's virtually <laughs> impossible but i actually think yeah everyone is the other thing is it's very difficult is everyone's more susceptible everyone's differently susceptible to these things yeah. and we don't know mm. who's where it's important where it mm. isn't Okay, so we are talking, I mean, again, back on the progesterone and the oestrogen mm-hmm. front. Um, uh, when we did the Thriver podcast, there was a, we had a bit of a discussion about what days you should be testing yes. for those two hormones in particular. Um, and I, I think I've, had kind of, I've heard differing opinions from people. So if I, I'm going to go and have my hormones tested, what days of my cycle should I have those okay. tested? So it all depends what you're testing. Now, for... When doctors test women for fertility purposes to see whether they, you know, that's a gynecologist or a fertility clinic, they, you do a basal FSH test. Mm-hmm. So that's follicle-stimulating hormone that's the pituitary hormone that controls your ovarian function. And that test, is, it needs to be done early in the cycle before the estrogen has started to rise. Once the estrogen has risen, it's a waste of time test. The numbers of times that women are actually tested too late. So they say day two to four, but some women it's too late. And therefore, the women who've had that FSH test go to their doctor and their doctor says, no, you can't have IVF because your FSH is too high, for example. But actually, the estrogen's already risen. So I think the test's got to be right and you have to know why you're doing it. The usefulness of the FSH test is to look at whether this particular woman might be suitable for IVF. Mm. Um, it's also used to work out whether a woman has a good amount of ovarian reserve, basically. Yeah. Um, there is some debate about that, because actually it, that you can do that in a younger person, but it's much harder to do in an older person. It doesn't, you know, so it's not straightforward. And actually, FSH fluctuates so much that it really needs to be done on the right day for the right reasons. Does that tie in with AMH, which is another one that people don't necessarily test for all the time? Yeah, so AMH isn't a hormone. It's just a protein. And it's used as a marker um, for ovarian reserve. If this woman went for IVF, how many eggs are we going to get out, basically? And that's really its only use. Right. Okay. Um, And I think women get very anxious because they're told you've got a really low AMH. But actually, it might not mean anything and it might have been tested for the wrong reasons um and amh again in in it it very much depends on age whether it's a useful test or not okay Okay? so i'm not saying it isn't a useful test but it doesn't tell you anything about egg quality nothing so if someone is having um 
stimulate not IVF but stimulation mm-hmm. um, the the AMH is a completely not helpful test okay so that's like Clomid and that kind of thing exactly um, going back to so we were talking about days of days of your mm. cycle and you were saying that in some cases tests sometimes you know, GPs recommend testing too late. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, I mean, how... Not on purpose. It's just that if oh, you yeah, do yeah, make it too late, it's not a useful test. But how do you know if it is useful? Like, how do you know that you have tested on the right day? Because you measure the FSH with an oestrogen. And if the oestrogen okay. is very low, you can be reassured that this FSH is a reasonable result. So people need to be requesting an FSH and an oestrogen test mm-hmm. simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that's a difficult thing for people to request themselves without yeah. the, the right person to analyse it. Okay. Okay. Because um, women who have a high FSH at the beginning of the cycle with a low oestrogen, that does not mean they don't go on to have either a natural pregnancy or do incredibly well at IVF. And so I think a lot of IVF clinics don't take that as a rigid thing. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, sometimes it's taken as a rigid, yes, you're allowed to go towards IVF. No, you're not allowed to go towards IVF when it's way more complicated than that. And this is the thing, because you've often got a GP as your gatekeeper. And GPs, I mean, the other day I went to the GP and they went on Google to okay. look at... So you could have too. Yeah. <laughs> but you can't know everything. So, you know... If you want to interpret your results, mm. what is the best way? Like, who are the best people to go to for that? Okay. So... If you are struggling conceiving, um, I think the thing to do is go to you know, a doctor who is specialised in that, and that is obviously hugely varies depending where you live, your access to things and so on. But you need the doctor to interpret that. I think mm. that's quite important. Um, it is complicated, I think. Um, the other, we obviously talked about progesterone as well. So if you go to your GP, they will do the progesterone on day 21. Okay. And that is the right thing because uh, progesterone is released in the second half of the cycle after ovulation. Okay, mm-hmm. So you can't test for it right in the beginning at the same time as your low estrogen with a high FSH. Now, if you really want to test an estrogen level, which is actually really important but isn't routinely done, you actually need to test it with the progesterone at day 21 or around day 21. I have a mad cycle. I sometimes ovulate on day 32 mm-hmm. or get a positive ovulation test mm-hmm. on day 32 so and to be honest when I did my progesterone test they said it was absolutely fine okay. and I think I did it on day 21 as well okay. which is so odd the test for progesterone is day 21 if you have a 28 day cycle okay it's as simple as that it doesn't actually matter how long your cycle is it matters to know when your last period was so that you can count to make sure that it's over the time you would have ovulated. Mm-hmm. If you have a very long cycle, um, that's usually, and you want to guess when to do it because no one's helping you, probably about a week before you have a period. Now, if, you, if your cycle varies hugely, the thing to do is wait till, you know, about day, if, you know, if your cycle's always long, say it's always 35 days you do it a week before that not day 21 because day 21 might be before ovulation okay so you just kind of have to know your body correct and you need to talk to your doctor correct it's all about taking control of your own treatment now the normal someone said your progesterone is normal so there is not you know there's sometimes normal not normal but we're not talking about that when we talk about hormones we're not talking about that we talk about fertility um, and what matters in terms of the reason to test the progesterone when we're thinking about fertility is, did you ovulate or not? 
Okay, that's the one reason. The second reason is, are you going to have produced enough progesterone to support this pregnancy? And those are the two reasons. So there isn't really a normal, and a, you know. So if someone has a very low progesterone, it's easy. Then you, you may, you either haven't ovulated, or if you have ovulated, you haven't got enough progesterone there to support the pregnancy. Mm. And there's an article in the press today, finally, there's been finally another really good study that women who have recurrent early miscarriages do brilliantly in terms of the keeping the next pregnancy with high dose progesterone in the first trimester finally mm-hmm. yeah. because people have known this for a very long time yeah. but women get access to this when they're in a sort of um, high risk yeah. unit but not in the general population so giving progesterone early on if you haven't produced progesterone is obviously a very easy thing to do um and it's you can't have too much progesterone can you no nope. Even during pregnancy, it's just... Well, progesterone in pregnancy is slightly different. It goes very, very high. It'd be unusual to test it in pregnancy, but it's in, you know, it goes very, very high and that's absolutely appropriate. And in a way, there's no point, I'm not sure there's a point testing it in pregnancy, nor the estrogen, Mm. because the levels just, they don't really correspond to the rest of life (laughs) and it's not really telling you much because they are what they are. One wouldn't want to fiddle around with them, basically. How important is the kind of luteal phase and understanding how long your luteal phase well, th- is when we're talking about progesterone? So the luteal phase is the second half of the cycle. So day one is day one of your period, then you have follicular phase. And during that time, the estrogen is rising. What happens then is as the estrogen rises, the FSH basically goes down and then the LH, which is luteinizing hormone, is stimulated. Now, the job of that is to cause ovulation. And then, where the egg has been released from the ovary, that then becomes the progesterone-producing factory, basically. And that's stimulated by LH. So, that's the beginning of the luteal phase and goes on to when you get your next period, or you're pregnant, obviously. It's important because lots of people who are trying naturally get it wrong. So there's a lot of, you need to, if you're, you know, of course one wants to just be having sex all the time, and it's all wonderful, but if you are trying, it really isn't like that. It becomes a, it becomes a, like an army routine, yes. even though it you know, can't help it. So it's important to not, and I say this in inverted commas, waste the sex before the luteal phase. Mm-hmm. Otherwise it's, you know, theoretically, you're not going to um, have fertilization. Okay. Um, some women have very, very short luteal phases very very long cycles and might be ovulating on day 30 mm. like you like me yeah. um and so you need to know but you know and, and if one and, and so and some women actually ovulate very differently each month so it can be very difficult cool <laughs> um, fun yeah so, um, you know you you mentioned lh and um fsh there is there anything that we can do to influence them you know can they be controlled or are they just or more consequences of what else is going on in the body. Okay. So I think, obviously, fertility treatment aims to control them. Okay, and that's um, controlling them naturally. I think is very difficult because, um, except in a negative way. Okay, so what, I, in other words, I can't think of a way one would try to improve the connection between your hypothalamus, pituitary, and your ovaries. I, I yeah. actually don't know the answer to that. Someone will know the answer to that, not me. Um, but I do think if you're working from the bottom up, which is what we talked about before, mm. to try to make sure that there are all the lifestyle things corrected within reason because there's a huge 
lot we can't do, mm-hmm. makes a big difference within the sort of negative feedback loop, which feeds back to the brain. So the sorts of things that would cause what's called hypothalamic suppression, which is a really common cause of infertility, where everything's just low, um, not eating enough, doing too much exercise. So taking things to the other extreme can, can have the opposite effect, basically, and cause these things to all be very suppressed. What about um, eating too much and not doing any exercise, like me? (laughs) (laughs) I've gone back to my, like, 21-year-old life. Mm -hmm. So great. Um, So another thing that we um, talk about a lot in relation to fertility is thyroid. Mm -hmm. It's something that came up with us. um, Someone recommended that I tested my thyroid Mm -hmm. when I wasn't getting pregnant. What is the relation between thyroid and fertility? So it's very close. Right. It's very, very common, quite common, to ha- for an underactive thyroid to cause someone to not get pregnant. Now, the problem is that testing of the thyroid isn't always accurately done. So you can have a, a relatively normal TSH, which is the thyroid equivalent of the FSH, mm. but actually the levels of the thyroid hormones in your blood are actually quite low. Now, that's difficult because that's not always picked up in a routine test. Um, but sometimes if the TSH is normal, in other words, your brain is, te- your brain is happy with the situation, the level of the hormones can actually be very low. And when you top them up, it can make a difference in fertility. So if someone is not getting pregnant, the first thing to do is make sure that they are, have an optimal thyroid. And by optimal, it means that the thyroid hormones, which thyroxine is the one GPs test, but there's also something called T3, which isn't often tested, to make sure they are in the upper end of the normal range. It can make a big difference. Okay. Um, Okay. So, yeah, this is one actually I should have asked earlier, but I'm going to ask it now instead. Um, Hormone levels. So when we're looking at hormone levels, um, for example, very early on in my pregnancy, and it's, uh, it's interesting that you mentioned... Um, not testing progesterone in pregnancy because they tested my progesterone. At what stage? Um, I four weeks and like three days to see if it was high enough. Okay. Yeah. So that's slightly different. Okay. They wanted to make sure they that you didn't because they were giving you progesterone. Yes. Because that's slightly different because you were having and you were getting progesterone support in the first trimester, which is yeah. totally appropriate. And so they want to make sure it's, they don't overdo it because they give you quite high doses. So they, well, they wanted to make sure that my progesterone was high enough. Yes, um, that as well. Yeah. So they gave, I think my number was 36. Okay. And um, the woman from the early pregnancy unit phoned me and said, it's a failing pregnancy because it should be 60 at this yep. stage. And I... Freaked didn't, out. Well, yes, that. Yes. But also didn't really understand because she just... Like 36 watt, okay. 60 watt. Okay. Okay. And... Like, and then I googled it and there were all these like random right. so, so basically pregnant, uh, progesterone I mean all labs are different but progesterone is generally measured in nanomoles per litre and in that's per litre? nanomoles per litre nanomoles yeah and okay. 36 when it's tested forget about pregnancy when it's tested on day 21-ish mm. in the <clears throat> luteal phase yeah. 36 would be considered as someone who's maybe not ovulated but not produced quite enough progesterone to have total confidence that there's enough progesterone for the first trimester. But one of the things about testing progesterone in the first trimester, when you are trying to look at what you've... Are you absorbing what you're being given yeah. in a vaginal pessary form? Timing's very important. Mm-hmm. Because if you, haven't, if you have your tests done in the eve, if you're taking your progesterone in the morning and you haven't 
and then they test you the next morning, the, the result's going to be significantly lower than if it's four hours before. Yeah. So, so that accounts for, that explains for what it is. That explains why the early pregnancy unit was freaking out and the um, clinic was fine. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, I'm not sure also that there is a level of serum progesterone in, uh, in the first trimester which corresponds to what the lining of the womb is doing and the development of the fetus, of, of the embryo. Okay. Because actually you need to scan it and you need to see what's the lining doing and that tells you what the progesterone is, if you see what I mean, and to have it. Is, I mean, is there a different way? Do Because when I was Googling it, the American websites seem to have a different scale to UK websites. So are, do, are we measuring hormones differently here in the UK? So... Different labs have different assays, okay. and that's not necessarily different countries, but within this country, there'll be different labs with mm. different assays. It doesn't matter. Okay. I mean, so it does matter what you're expecting, but you can do it in different... And the reason I'm asking this question... Different units. The reason yes. I wanted to know, it, it's, you know, obviously I'm asking about pregnancy, but you, you get, say you're trying to measure your progesterone, you're trying to find out what your thyroid's doing or whatever, mm-hmm. and you get these numbers back from your GP and your GP has said oh you're in the normal range yep. and you look at the range and you're either near the top or near the bottom yep. it, is it worth then going on to a kind of a second person so, yeah so I think it's very hard to interpret hormone tests yeah without a doctor who understands what hormones do um, when you asked me that before are there some uh, sort of things about hormones that aren't true and I went uh, uh, I don't know um, one of them is that the hormones change so much there's no point measuring them measuring because there's lots of point measuring them if you know what you're looking for yeah so thyroid hormone like I said before is actually very simple if the thyroid hormone thyroxine is right at the lower end of the normal range it's not optimal okay okay now maybe that's okay if you're a 75 year old man who's off his legs mm. all right but it might not be okay if you're a young woman trying to get pregnant or a middle-aged or whatever it is. So it matters what it is. So some of them need to be in the upper end of the normal rate, like thyroid. Okay. When it comes to progesterone, yeah. actually what matters is its relativity to the estrogen that it's measured with, which makes a big difference. Okay. Now, they're actually measured in different units, and right. so it's quite hard to interpret it just by yourself. So at that point, we're seeing someone else. We're getting a second opinion. Probably. That okay. does sound very hard to interpret. <laughs> um, should we talk about periods? Ooh, mm, yes. fun. Um, what does a normal period look and feel like? And what are the signs that your periods are not right in some way? Okay. So everyone has different periods, different cycles, different system, uh, uh, symptoms. And in fact, everyone experiences all, lots of different things themselves. So no month is necessarily the same. There are some women that are like clockwork, totally a cycle that is 28 days mm. they bleed for a few days they ha- they don't even notice it okay and then there's the other extreme women who really suffer either from what their periods the heaviness of their periods their pms uh, pain all sorts of other things and they are irregular and then some women who don't get periods so i think a normal period is if you are happy it doesn't affect you it's no problem and i would call that a normal period now for some women that's they, ha- they might also be irregular and they might also be a bit heavy and they might also get a bit of PMS and that's normal for them and they feel fine about it. Mm. So it becomes abnormal when it starts interfering with life significantly. So if you're taking days off work, for example. Well, that's extremely abnormal. And that's, you know, something that we shouldn't really put, have to put up with. Okay, mm. we should be treated for that. And, it, 
you know, it shouldn't be so difficult to, to, to be treated. So the, the main things that go wrong with periods is that they're too heavy, too painful, or that the premenstrual phase is severe, either emotionally or physically, and so mm. it's interfering with life. And they're caused by sometimes different things. So, but, all, but very often they come round to an imbalance between estrogen and progesterone, which again is hugely important for infertility. So I think that that's, that's very important. Now, generally, we're not, unless it's for, for fertility, women don't get tested for progesterone around, uh, you know, routinely, and therefore there isn't that um, assessment made. Okay, and what about consistency of period? Because we, this is something I don't think I've ever had a conversation with a, a medical a medically qualified person. I've talked to my acupuncturist about it. I've talked to a nutritionist about it. I have not talked to somebody with doctor in front of their name. Okay. Mm-hmm. Should we be having this discussion with our doctors? And should we, what kind of consistency should we be looking for? Okay. I often hear patients saying, oh, it was really dark brown. Oh, it was really fresh blood. I mean, the truth is it doesn't matter. Okay. Okay. It's not telling you that much, actually, in terms of that. In terms of, I think it matters if there are lots of clots in it. Or, and that goes along with flooding or leaking or very heavy periods mm. because that's indicative of a, um, of a very thick womb lining um, okay. and then leads to, you know, which might be associated with other things like fibroids, polyps, or just hormone imbalance. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't learn that much from what your period looks like. <laughs> so we're not bringing in any samples. I mean, <laughs> patients do. <laughs> <laughs> But what do you think you can learn from the well, I was, colour or consistency? One of the things that um, somebody's asked me before is, it, are there a lot of clots? And I've yes, gone, that's different, I think. And I've never, want, I've never known why they, yeah. they ask that. And the other thing is, somebody said, do you have black blood? I was like, this is, in fact, one of our guests said it. Mm. So I think that might be referring to clots. Okay. And I think that it often um, can happen when you have fight. Other things going on that can also affect fertility, okay. then that's a sign. Or what, something else going on. What about spotting in the lead up to and on in the what's the opposite of lead up the the way out the exit, the exit. period. <laughs> <laughs> so spotting is really normal for some women, and they always get it before and after their periods. Mm. Um, some women never get it at all. It can be a sign that there's something not quite right. Um, so if you if it's sort of happening in the middle middle of the cycle, you'd want to exclude other things like infection or other you know, things going on with the cervix. Um, but a bit of spotting before and after is nothing other than annoying, but not a problem. Yeah. Um, if it gets worse or it becomes um, not what we're calling normal and interfering, it's also indicative that this lining is being shed um, in a slightly abnormal way and that person is very likely to need more progesterone to keep the lining where it should be okay if pain of periods is that bad okay and it may not just be pain that's keeping them you know migraines or yeah. other things nausea vomiting yeah, other yeah. things but if pain is that bad um that one might have endometriosis and there's lots and you will have heard lots about endometriosis from other mm. people talking about it it is underdiagnosed it should be diagnosed just with the clinical symptoms if someone comes and the periods are so painful they're taking a day off work assuming they're not overreacting and, it, and it's that bad they may well have endometriosis. And that's very important to see, to, you know, you don't need to wait till the endometriosis is so bad that it can be seen on a laparoscopy. 
then it's too late. Mm. The very painful periods need to be dealt with very early in case they're endometriosis. Absolutely. Um, should we move on to the, the IVF drugs, what's going to happen to me section of this interview? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, are there any short and long-term effects of t- taking all these drugs? Okay. So the way, in a general sense, so the, the, the way IVF drugs work is to try to tell your brain that you haven't got any estrogen in your body in the hope that it will um, make more of the gonadotrophin hormones, FSH and so on. I mean, they're they're different IVF drugs and they use them in different ways, but essentially Mm. try to fool you into thinking there's not enough estrogen. And that's that's sort of a general... I don't know what what drugs you're going to get, but that's a general way they work, which means that the, the side effects of that is like menopause very often, and they are totally vary between individuals. Some women don't feel that bad, but most do, I think, and that's where it's mood swings, hot flushes, acne. Mm. I mean, you know, the, the list is actually pretty endless, but in, in a way, it's, it's, I think knowing that this is a short-term thing for mm. a specific reason does help. Yeah. So those are the sort of, sort of short-term symptoms. There are a few serious things long-term that can happen. I mean, one of the things that's a so-called side effect of, of IVF treatment is multiple pregnancies. I mean, it's a sort of weird way of calling that a side effect, but, mm. and overstimulation of the ovaries which is something to watch out for Um, and there can be you know but I think what a lot of women find is that they're left you know they're left at the end of it all not feeling quite themselves sometimes and that isn't everyone some people feel absolutely you know once they're pregnant if they get pregnant and they move on to feel great Mm. but it's not impossible um, to not get your periods again so women need to know that, and yeah. that's not, you know, that, that does happen. Breast cysts is a really very, very common thing. Yeah, that was one of our next questions, because okay. I, I had one. And um, it took you by surprise, didn't it? It did take me by surprise. I wasn't expecting it. And finding a lump in your breast that's quite yes. large and quite hard yes. is quite frightening. So when did you, what stage did you get that? Oh, that was um, when I'd been stimming. Right. So, so the reason, so the breast cysts happen because of overstimulation with oestrogen. Right. Okay, yeah. and so that's why women who aren't having fertility treatment, it's very common, mm. um, especially around perimenopause. And women who also have all these other things that we've just said, heavy periods, PMS, that, that sort of woman, mm-hmm. um, that's becoming more common because of all these other things I said, i.e. the environmental impact mm. on our systems. Um, now, not in pregnancy, because that's different, but not it, when one isn't pregnant, um, the treatment is progesterone, and that gets rid of the breast cysts. Mine just went down naturally. Yeah, of course they can but, just go um, away. Yeah. yeah, They are not dangerous. No. But I think, you know, one doesn't want to find a lump in one's breast. Without having been warned, maybe you'll get a lump in mm. your breast and, it might be f- and it'll be fine. Yeah. I was wondering if they don't warn you because they still want you to take action if you do find one. Because I, I was like, why didn't they tell you that this could potentially happen? And that, that was what I landed on, was maybe it's because... No, I think it's, you should be told all the potential... Weird. side effects of a medication because it's quite common well yeah. when i said it and told people everyone was all of a sudden oh yeah it happened to me oh, it happened to me it's like quite common yes okay last question yeah uh i'll take this one because okay. i've got this problem uh the other thing is skin yes. um so i to take my own case study have always <coughs> had quite bad skin um throughout my teenage years and early 20s and i used to regulate it by taking a certain contraceptive pill mm-hmm. The moment I came off that pill when I was trying to conceive, 
the bad skin came back and it's kind of to be fair it hasn't gotten worse that I'm on IVF drugs but it certainly hasn't cleared up I'm just wondering what is the interplay between hormones with with that kind of thing so hormones have all the hormones have action on the skin and what you're describing which is would be described as hormonal acne is that what mm. you mean yeah you I'd say to, so okay um happens starts really in puberty mm. and the skin is very sensitive at that time to the androgen hormones i.e testosterone so uh, and dhea and so on and dihydrotestosterone which affect the skin um so having lots of androgens in your system is one way one reason for getting oily skin so women who have uh, things like polycystic ovaries um, have extra amounts of androgen hormones like testosterone in their bloodstream because of nothing to do with their ovaries, but as an end result of that, which causes acne. The sorts of pills that help that kind of thing tend to have an anti-androgen chemical in them. So things, I don't know if what you want, but things like Dianet. Yep, and Dianet contains something called ciproterone, which acts to as an anti-testosterone hormone in the skin chemical, and that's why it works. Mm-hmm. So the, the reason for hormonal acne with each cycle, which is slightly different, so, so is, is, it seems to be to do with how much estrogen is around. So when some women get worse, lots of women get worse acne before their period, it's really common, or with their period. And that's actually when the estrogen, for a lot of those women, um, when the, so there's actually two theories, but actually I think both things happen. One is when the estrogen's dropping. And so the androgens... Um, have a field day okay now that's what happens in menopause when the estrogen drops women often get outbreaks of acne around perimenopause as the estrogens go up and down a bit like they do in a menstrual cycle mm. and that's one thing the other thing is when estrogen is too high which also happens for the period surprise surprise there's not enough progesterone and what progesterone does is it helps block the normal testosterones being converted into the stronger testosterones like dihydrotestosterone that really affect the skin so so there's a number of reasons why i get hormonal acne the things that help obviously if somebody has pcos getting rid of the pcos which is a whole podcast in itself mm-hmm. um and you know nutrition may very important um, alcohol and sugar to most and dairy sometimes but certainly alcohol and sugar um and topping up with progesterone Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been absolutely fascinating. Mm. And I feel like we've busted some myths. Finally. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's been really nice to have you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. <laughs> It's time for IVF. What the F? Oh yeah. Um, quite an interesting one this week. Yes, it's it is interesting. It's always interesting. That's always interesting. Yes. Um, so we have asked Prof Tim, uh, medical director at Oxford Fertility. Yes, thank you for giving him his proper title. Prof Tim Child. Yeah, Prof Tim Child. Yeah. Um, we've asked him what, how embryologists choose which embryo to put in. Right. Um, because yeah, I mean, I the thing is that with both of us, we both had our NHS rounds, right? Yeah. And then, and the NHS said to us, "Yeah, your embryos are really good quality." Yeah. <laughs> and that's all you get. Whereas some people have like two A. Yeah. We got an email from someone during the week, didn't we? Who yeah. were asking us because they were telling us that their embryos were whatever B. Yeah. A A blah. Yeah. And they were like, "What? What were yours?" It's like, well, I don't know. No, <laughs> they were all right. As yeah, far as we they knew. were. Good quality, yeah. Quote exactly. unquote. So, um, so when you've got a load of embryos of the same quality, I guess. Yes. How do you choose it? And also, what? Like, I never knew what all that kind of four a a plus plus. Is stuff that? Means. Do we do that in the UK, or is that an American thing? No, they, we do it in the UK. So okay. private clinics do it. Right, but right. It's just that NHS clinics don't. Okay. As far as I understand mm. it, do it. Um, although. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, so yeah, I I just think I I never really understood what that means. So he kind of explains it a little bit. Good, that's really interesting. Yeah. So here's what he had to say. So the main factor affecting the chance of success with IVF is actually the age of the woman, and that's because her age is the age of the eggs, and we know that as women get older the genetic quality of eggs goes down. So that's the main factor affecting success. Actually, that's actually more important than the number of eggs, which is measured by tests such as AMH or anthropological count or an FSH blood test. The age of the eggs is the most important thing. Um, the other important thing, or another important factor for success rate is obviously the embryo quality. Um, however, the embryo quality can be measured in different ways, and that's in terms of how the embryo looks or um, its growth rate in the laboratory, it's not, that's not particularly connected to the genetic quality inside. So as I've just said, the genetic quality inside is the most important thing. But the quality on the outside, what we call the morphological quality on the outside, um, is also important. And different laboratories will use different grading systems or different ways of, of grading embryos. Um, embryos on day three when some centres will be doing embryo transfers, or there's a, there's a move away from that, some embryos, I'm sorry, some, some centres on, on day three will use a system where they just count the number of cells on day three, and that normally that would be between sort of eight and ten to twelve, so six, eight, ten, twelve um, 
uh, cells on the day three embryo, and they'll look at the clarity of the cells and whether the cells are of similar size and whether there's any fragmentation um, within. And then they'll use a, a grading system for that. It could be a numbered system or it could be a lettered system. By day five, the grading system is more complicated. And again, there are a number around. Uh, at, at Oxford, we use a, quite a simplified one, just an A, B, C, D. Um, and that will vary from clinic to clinic. And again, the, the lab will look at the numbers of cells, the clarity of the cells, um, the expansion of the embryo, and a, a number of different factors there. From that, um, they will then choose the best one, best two embryos to put back. If you're in a center that's using some form of um, time-lapse photography in the incubator, then there'll be other scoring systems as well where they'll be looking to see did the embryo divide to two to four to six cells, etc. at certain time points, and that will also help them decide. Gabs May. Hello. You okay? Yes, I'm good. How are you? I'm fine. Um, yeah, so I am proud to say that I'm now drug-free. Congratulations. Thank you, I'm clean. <laughs> God, that could be taken both ways, right, actually? Yes. Yeah, yeah. my pants yeah. are clean. No, I jest. Um, so, yeah, that I was 12 weeks on Wednesday. Today is Friday. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't without its drama because, um, as I said last week, mm-hmm. I was going to run out of Lubion on the Tuesday. Yes. Um, but at the weekend, we had a second episode of the old blowback explosion oh, from no. the uh, needle. Squirty spritz. Yeah. So we lost one. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So so I was two down. Oh, shit. And then I got to Monday and I realised that we didn't have... We had all of the syringe, the sucky-uppy needle. We didn't have the injecting needle that oh, we fuck. needed. And I was like, well, I'm, got, I'm already losing two. I need to do this yeah. one. Like, in my head, it was important. Yeah. So I went to work and in my lunch break went on what could only be described as a ridiculous mad dash through all of the pharmacies of Wandsworth. Requesting needles. Requesting a very specific needle. Oh, my God. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, you have to mention IVF pretty quickly for okay. them not to be like, we're not giving you a needle. <laughs> Um, yeah, I like walked for miles. I went to all of the random pharmacies that someone could tell me about. And they didn't have them. And none of them had it. They all had these really thick looking Ugh. unpleasant ones. And I was like, no, thanks. You can keep those. Um, and so, yeah, eventually I rang the clinic and was like, look, this is the situation. And the doctor was like, oh, that's very cute. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you can stop. Just just stop. It's fine. Oh it's, it's, a, it's you know, 12 weeks is a uh, an arbitrary yeah. kind of date that we aim for. As we found out last week. Yes, exactly. Um, so she was like, you, you can just stop. It's fine. So oh. I was like, just, I was just like, I wanted to do my last vial. Yeah. Yeah. So that was fun. And uh, so, yeah, Tuesday came. That was the last day that I did pessaries and and estrogen pills and Wednesday I didn't do anything and how did it feel it felt pretty good yeah yeah did um, you feel like empty like you lost something uh, I did keep going oh it's time to oh, it, oh I need to do the and then being and pleasantly then no. pleasantly surprised that <laughs> I didn't have to um and yeah and I haven't haven't had any bleed which Great. I'm pleased to say Lucky you. I know. Yeah. Well, did you get yours straight away? 
I think I got mine within a couple of days. Right. Yeah, it happened fairly fast. Yeah. So hopefully I'm maybe in the clear. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so that was fun. And I am, yeah, pleased. I have been feeling more sick, which I don't really understand because I was feeling I was feeling better last week, wasn't mm-hmm. I? I wasn't feeling as sick. And then the day I didn't do any, so Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Yeah. I've been like back up at my peak, queasy, one ticket to queasy town. Um, so in my head, I'm like, what? what's wrong? What's yeah, happening? The placenta what's going on? Yeah, exactly. The placenta But I'm sure it's fine. Well, it's it's drug withdrawal. We're now, what, two days after you've come off it. Like, mm. It's got to be a withdrawal thing. Maybe. Yeah. Have you Googled it? No. Yeah. No, I haven't. Okay. I mean, it could just be the usual kind yeah. of just yeah. pregnancy sickness going up and down yeah um somebody who had not done ivf would not be freaking out about this right just be exactly like, I'm like, oh, I, feel less, I still oh, feel sick that's fine yeah well they wouldn't know probably anything about when the placenta was doing anything they would they probably wouldn't know that no um and also obviously you're kind of jumping into the ether because you're like mm. gotta just hope that the placenta is doing its thing because i've stopped taking all these important drugs yeah um but yeah and obviously i've got my 12 week scan yeah, shit. 13 week scan <laughs> yeah on tuesday god how are you feeling uh more anxious that every day i get closer to it yeah like i was it's funny because the 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 more time passes without incident yeah the more you're kind of lulled into into you know i'm not going to say a false sense of security but you a sense of security a sense of security yeah um, but I feel like now, the closer I get to this scan, I'm like, now nah, I'm back out of that again. I'm thinking of all of the things that could go wrong. Yeah. And all of the people that have told us what had gone wrong with them at this stage. Yeah. You know, it's all just like, it's a Rolodex in my brain. Just like, yeah, could be this, could be this, could be this. So that's not much fun. Yeah. I'm just really just hoping, obviously. I think, well, I mean, we talked about this a bit earlier off mic, but our view is slightly skewed. And I think anybody who's in this kind of community has a slightly skewed view of how likely it is that things could go wrong. Yeah, yeah. Because it's, you know, this community has a lot of tragedy. Yeah. Also has a lot of, you know, joy and stuff. But it's, I think we're all privy to... When it goes wrong, and it's, yeah, it's hard to put those things out of your head, I think. It is hard, and, you know, but chances are it's fine. I mean, all signals would suggest that it's fine, yeah. I guess, but then... Oh, you doesn't just, doesn't you get rid of it. Does it? No, do you? Exactly, you just don't know. I wonder if, like, normal pregnant people get this anxiety. I think they mu- I think they do. Do you think they do? But I don't think that they maybe know quite as much of what can go wrong as we do i don't know who knows i'm not a normal pregnant person so i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i haven't spoken to any of my normal pregnant friends about it being like well did you have a panic attack before your 12 week scan yeah i know i mean i know some pregnant people at the moment and they i know yeah they've some of them have been very anxious Mm. Some of them have already suffered losses, though, so it's kind okay. of, you know, I think that obviously makes things different. I think that makes you not normal pregnant. No, that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, so anyway, that's happening, and I'm just really, really fucking hoping that everything's okay. Cool. Because I don't know what I'll do if it's not. 
No, it'll be awful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, other than that, what's been happening with me? Um, so today mm-hmm. I am going to meet my accountant. Oh, yeah. To talk about whether or not I'm going to get any assistance from the government towards Fuck. my maternity leave. Oh, shit, if all goes hey. well. Yeah. Because um, as we all know, I went freelance and quit my job because I was like, I've always wanted to quit my job. I always thought it would happen when I when I got pregnant and I wasn't getting pregnant and I just yeah. wanted to be freelance. And I so I just pulled the pin, did it. Got out of there. And then, f- yeah, then managed to get pregnant first, yeah. first round of IVF, which <laughs> I wasn't expecting. And obviously it's fucking great. Yeah, of But I'm... I just don't know where that leaves me because I'm not, I'm not employed. Well, I am. So the thing is, I'm not a freelancer because you would just get maternity allowance if you were freelance. Okay. So I'm a director of my own company. Okay. What does that mean? I have no idea. Okay. So you're going to go and see the accountant? Yeah. And they're going to say... Hopefully, don't worry. Yeah. You'll get this amount. Yeah. I mean, my company... Studio Griff Limited <laughs> is incredibly generous with its maternity package, oh, it? I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, given half the chance, we'd like to be very generous to all of our employees. <laughs> Me. Um so yeah, I don't I, but I don't know how it's gonna go. Which I'm 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 interested to see. Exciting. Yeah, it's quite exciting. It's quite I a mean, grown up God, conversation. It's quite a grown up conversation. Also, is it maybe a tad early? Mm. I haven't had my scan. Well, I might not need my maternity leave. You might not, but at least you'll know. Yeah. At that point. Oh, God. What have I done? I've jinxed it. You haven't jinxed it. There's no such thing I've as jinxing. I've jinxed it. There's no such thing as jinxing. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, it's a it's a great problem to have. It it's is. a problem I wanted to have. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm just curious. It'll be interesting. Okay. Do you want a present? Oh, what? It's 12 weeks. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah, I'd love one. It's present time. <gasps> oh. It's it maybe a bit of a jinxy present. Oh, uh, I think I know what this is. It's a Neil's Yard bag. It is a Neil's um, Yard bag. Oh, wow. Went down there today. Hey. Yeah. You're too much. I know. Oh. oh. That um, that wrapping. Very nice wrapping in Neil's Yard. Well, the sound of it on the mic. Is, I wear headphones Extreme. when we record and Gabby doesn't. It's quite ASMR. Oh, is it nice? Yeah, just do some more rustling. Should do it? Yeah. Oh. Oh. It's like I'm walking through the leaves in autumn. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> Guys, we'll, we'll just record that and do a 30-minute podcast of Gabby doing that. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you that just had a little tingle. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, it's Mother's Balm. It is. Wow. So I, I swear by this. Kat swears by this. Yeah. Kat Strawbridge, who yeah. is at present, as we were recording, in Labour. Yeah, oh my God, wow. Um, I haven't... I mean, I'm 30 weeks... I haven't had any stretch marks. That's impressive. When did you start using this stuff? I think I started around 14 weeks. Oh, okay. You've got to wear a t-shirt. What do you mean? Put it on. So I put it on my boobs and my tummy. Mm-hmm. Um, Kat puts it on her bum and her hips as well. I've already got loads of stretch marks on those from a traumatic, fast puberty. <laughs> <laughs> One day I didn't have hips, the next day I did. Oh, shit. Um, but, yeah, so... Um, just whack it on. Yeah. Put a t-shirt on top. Because otherwise it gets on your sheets. Uh, it's gross. Okay. Fair. Great. 
Wow, thank you. That's a great present. Well, I hope that after Monday you still need it. Yes, Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. So when this goes out. Yeah. Later that day. Later that day, my Because my appointment is at 6pm, which is baffling. Yeah. Um... So I have to go through a whole day of work. I'm good. I'm trying not to think At about 6 it. 6pm, yeah. And we're doing, we were supposed to be doing an interview. Well, I'm doing yeah, an interview. Yeah, I'm missing an interview because of it. Yeah. Because they won't move it. It's really annoying. Do they not know how important it is? I know. Did, Did you not say, do? do you not know who I am? Yeah, no, I didn't. Okay. Didn't want to embarrass <sighs> people. No. Um, well, anyway, wow. I'm, I'm pretty great now. Great. Hi. How are you, mate? Um, I'm fine. Now? Oh, wow, okay, now. Um, you know how at the end of last week's podcast I was like, I never vomit. <laughs> yeah, famous last words. <laughs> I got a tummy bug this week. Yeah. It, I figured out, was my first tummy bug in uh, 21 years. Whoa. Because I never vomit. Except for on Tuesday, then I vomited. No, Monday night. Uh, a lot of times. Like a lot of times. And I, it was horrible. And stuff was coming out the other end as well. Sorry, oh, no. sorry for the massive overshare, but it was all happening. Oh no, that's the worst. And I was, I was probably being sick for about 12 hours. Wow. And then after that, it was just so weak. I couldn't move. I basically, you know you're seriously ill when you don't have the energy to watch TV. Yeah, you couldn't even watch Love Island. I couldn't even watch Love Island. That's insane. It was awful. So yeah, so I got, I just got this tummy bug and obviously my first thought as I was vomiting was, oh shit, I'm in labour. Oh. Because like some people get that before they go, just before they go into labour. Oh no, you don't want to be thinking that. First thought, 30 oh, weeks. Um, and then, so this was on Tuesday as well, so I wasn't even 30 weeks, I was 29 and a bit weeks. Um, then second thought, preeclampsia. Mm. Um, so I just started freaking out, Googling while I was vomiting, which I was quite proud of. That's impressive, like one yeah. hand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> put my hair up. After the first episode, I was like, that's it, got to put the hair up. Right, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, sensible. So hair was up, one hand was Googling, one hand was bracing myself against the toilet. Oh, dude. Yeah. It's not cool. Yeah, I just, it's just such a, like, a novel experience for me but it, it kind of started with um really 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 bad reflux that I couldn't get rid of so I wondered whether it was like reflux because John didn't get it we ate the same meals yeah I wonder whether it's like a reflux effect somebody in my um NCT group has had had a similar thing like a couple of weeks before oh really yeah oh god I know yeah so I don't know but you're feeling know. good now Feeling great. I got so much sleep on Tuesday. Yeah, it's such a good rest. Yeah, I got. I had a really lovely time. I reckon you needed a good rest. Probably just needed a sleep. Yeah. So yeah, the other thing that I've been thinking about this week was um, I've got an I've got an anxiety, got a new anxiety. Ooh, it's new. Hello, welcome, friend. It's got nothing to do with infertility. Okay. All to do with my future. Okay. Um. So I live in Notting Hill. Yes. On the day... I'm supposed to give birth in mid-August. Oh, I see where this is going. On... Basically, my hospital lets you go to 41 weeks and five days before they start getting quite strict about inductions. 
we've been thinking about inductions a bit at, like through NCT and things like that recently. I basically realised the date that they would induce me, like the latest date they'll allow me to go, happens to coincide with Notting Hill Carnival. Uh-oh. Gabby, you've been at my house during Notting Hill Carnival. I have. Have you witnessed people pissing on my doorstep? I have. Have you? Did You weren't there the time somebody shat in my front garden. No, but I've heard that story many times. Um, it's fucking hectic. Once... Y- like, the roads are closed. All the roads are closed. You can't... All the tubes are closed. There's no public transport. Oh, God. You can't get out. I have... A lot of locals around here do not like the carnival. I like the carnival. I think it's great and fun. And every year I have at least one goat curry because it is so delicious. Yeah. Um, I'm a bit anxious about it this year because... What if I can't get to the hospital? Or what if I have to bring my newborn baby back to just, like... Piss. Piss on my doorstep. A piss-stinking entry. Yeah. So I... Yeah, I'm just... And I addressed this with the midwife on, um, like, quite near the beginning of my pregnancy and was like, can you tell me, like, what happens because this is going to be a problem. And she was quite dismissive of it, which, like, I found difficult. Well, she probably doesn't live here, so she doesn't know the extent to the kind of disruption to to life as normal. Yeah, exactly. But I'm going to bring it up again. I've got an appointment this week, and I'm just going to bring it up again, because... So you wouldn't be able to drive, you wouldn't be able to get the tube. No. Or a bus. Where... How far a walk is the nearest kind of street where things are normal maybe like a mile away like but getting there is so slow because there's there's like something like five million people in yeah in notting hill and you can't it's impossible to move for most of the time because there's just so many people crammed Mm. into the streets and no one's moving Mm. you just can't get around i know yeah you stay in a hotel there aren't very many hotels around my hospital. There's a prison. You could get arrested. <laughs> yeah. It's problem solved. I just... Um, yeah, but, like, does it need to be really near your hospital? Can it not just be, like, near enough so that you can park there overnight and drive if you need to? I think I'm just going to ask them, and I think I'm going to ask for indu- an induction at 40 weeks. And I know, like, inductions are scary, but I've been... I've had so many things shoved up my vagina, I don't really care at this stage. I just want to meet the baby and... Yeah. I don't know. Like, if anybody has any thoughts on this, whether I'm being really stupid, let me know. But... Oh, there's an alarm in the background I can hear. Um, I just... At this point, I just... I don't... I want this anxiety to go away. I don't want to have to worry about fucking carnival. No. It's a fun time, not a horrible time. No. Mm. Mm. That is a problem. That's funny how that's... Sorry, it's not funny, but it's, it's interesting <laughs> that that's become a problem. It is interesting. Because it's usually, like, a, such a bonus for you living here. You yeah. get to have carnival parties and you're... Yeah, I don't think there's going to be one this year. And you can use the loo here. Yeah, everybody comes to use the loo. It's always good to know Emma's here with the toilet. Yep. During the carnival. bags here. And then we have a I'm not talking about peeing in the, the hallway. <laughs> yeah. um, but you should also put like the barriers up so that people can't come down and wee outside your door. But yeah, like stick baby, like, you know, a baby lives here. Baby on Please board. don't wee on my baby. It's, it's, 
<laughs> it's just the really loud music yeah. um, that I worried like would scare it. And because you can, you it like vibrates through the foundations of the house. Again, I think that's really cool. But I feel like a baby who has just been born into this world doesn't want that shit. I think if your baby is born before the carnival, yeah, you should uh, piss off, take yourself off to the countryside. Yeah, I think we will. Uh, you do have a second home, so it's possible. <laughs> I just say that I am not that posh, everybody. <laughs> but yes, I do have a house in Margate. Um, uh, you, yeah. I oh, God, I don't know. Because I, I don't know anything. I haven't really done any research into labour, really. But I don't know how fun inductions are. I don't think they're fun. Yeah, I, that's what I've heard. I've heard labour in general isn't very fun anyway. Yeah, exactly. So I, I spoke to one of my friends about it who had who went through it. Oh, yeah? And she was like, look, you just get through it and then at the end you've got a baby, so it doesn't matter. And I was like, that's a pretty, pretty good way of thinking about it. Yeah. Anyway, that's me. All great problems to have. Yeah, I'll let you know how the midwife appointment goes next week. Please do. Okay. That's it, guys. Okay. Yeah. yeah. End of the podcast for another week. End of the podcast for another week. Next week, we are talking to, Le- well, actually, Gabby's talking to Lisa Hendricks and Jack. Yes. I was too busy being sick. Yeah, you yeah. were. Um, but that was okay. I had a lovely chat with Lisa, who's just written a book called The Fifth Vital Sign, mm-hmm. which is all about the secrets and diagnoses and joy that can be found in your menstrual cycle. Yes, I'm giving it to my sister. Are you? Yeah. Well, you know, we don't talk about periods enough. Bloody yeah. important. Bloody important. Bloody important. I see what you did there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so Lisa and I had a great chat on the phone. Yeah. Not IRL. She's in the US, she's isn't in she? The, yeah. Is it our first transatlantic conversation? No. Yeah. Live, yeah. Obviously we had the infertile mafia, but... Oh, Yeah. That was not a two-way conversation. No. That was more of a one-way. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. One so way, two ways. Uh, exactly. Mm. So that's next week. Cool. And until then, stay safe. <laughs> Keep shagging. <laughs> and we love you. Bye. Being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.